You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. As you're being seated, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to be there first, but we're going to be in a couple of different passages today. Um, shared with you earlier that I want to step away uh, just briefly this week from the book of Revelation um, to look specifically at some things that we've been talking about in the book of Revelation, but just in some different passages of Scripture. Um, Last week, we talked about uh, the three angels from Revelation 14 and the three warnings that they come to give us. Uh, We said that believers have a responsibility to call others to respond to the gospel until the very end, while also remaining faithful themselves by living obediently and believing rightly, which will result in eternal rest and reward. And so we talked about these angels that come with these warnings that Hey, the gospel's still available. There's still opportunity for salvation, but ultimately those that that give in to the mark of the beast, those that worship false gods, they're going to be punished forever. And there's this responsibility for us to respond and obey the word and endure till the very end. And we saw from an application standpoint last week that we're called to obey the word, to to keep God's commands and uh, to know that God will ultimately um, honor and reward that faithfulness. Uh, our deeds go with us, we saw in Revelation 14. We talked about keeping our faith in Jesus, that, man, as we get closer and closer to Jesus coming back, there's a, there's a need for right doctrine and to trust in God's plans um, so that we endure till the very end. And like I said, I had a conversation this week where I was kind of challenged myself as far as, man, what would I do if I was faced with the decision to either deny Jesus or to die? Um, what would I do in that scenario? How difficult would it be for me to respond in, in, possibly, um, in possibly being being challenged in that way where I was really put to the test and my faith was challenged? What would I ultimately do? And so I want to talk a little bit about that, about dying to obey. How do we persevere? How do we endure in such a way where we are set up for ultimate success if we're ever put in that spot, ever put in that position? All right, um, summary sentence for this week. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the assurance of the presence of Jesus, a deep knowledge of God's word, and the support of other believers are all necessary components for remaining obedient even in the face of death. Power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus going with us, a deep knowledge of God's word, the support of other believers, those are all necessary components or necessary ingredients for us to remain faithful, for us to be obedient even in the face of death. For our kids, we need the Holy Spirit's power, Jesus' presence, a knowledge of the Bible, and the support of other Christians to die faithfully. As you're writing that down, I posed a question to you in our discussion groups um, around the idea of the difference between those who sit at home and watch the Olympics and those that participate in the Olympics. What are some, some differences that we can, we can identify between those two groups of people? Those that are competing in South Korea right now and those of us that are watching and enjoying their hard work and labor. What, what separates the two of us? Any thoughts on that? What did y'all come up with? We came up with um, the desire to want to push through um, maybe the mundaneness of it. Okay, the desire to push through and to, to continue in that training. Discipline. Discipline. Dedication. Dedication. Um, yeah, we talked about they built their life around it. That's okay. what they do all day, every day. Yep, they built their life around it. What else? What separates us from the Olympic athletes? 
we said too that they probably placed them say, themselves around other people who were training just as hard for something else. Yep. Yep. The camaraderie of training with others that are pushing forward and pushing towards that same goal. They had they to have. say no to a lot of things. Yeah, they had to say no to a lot of things in order to get to where they're at for sure. Certain giftedness, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the other component to this. So when we talk about what's the difference between an Olympic athlete and those that sit at home and watch the Olympics, the, the, the Olympic athlete is supposed to be the best of the best of us, right? Like that's the best that our country has to offer in these individual sports, right? And so, man, we sit at home and watch the best of the best perform on that stage in that setting. Um, and for a lot of us, man, we could, we could never get there. And that's the key that I want you to see. We could never get there, right? Like there's hard work and preparation that certainly takes place for an Olympic athlete. But man, there's a supernatural component to an Olympic athlete, a God-given supernatural ability that a lot of people don't possess, right? Like I, I watch the Olympics and there's things that I see them do and I know it wouldn't matter how much dedication and how much hard work and how much preparation I put into it, I would not be capable of doing that. I just wouldn't be. I don't have that ability Right, like we took um, my niece Maggie ice skating on Monday, right? Like, and I can skate around and I can handle myself. I don't fall down. Like, I can I can go fast even. But man, I'm not I'm not I'm not able to do the tricks and the stunts that you can see in figure skating. And I don't think it would matter how much time and attention I gave to it. I do not have the ability to do that. I mean, there's something that that's just innate, something that God gives to people that they are able to do certain things that others of us can't do. Right, So there's hard work, there's preparation, certainly, because there's probably some Olympic athletes that are sitting at home that have a God-given ability but didn't do the hard work and preparation. So they could be there, but they're not. There's a lot of us in this room, and it wouldn't have mattered how hard we worked. We would never have been able to go to South Korea and compete in these games. It just wouldn't have happened, right? We just don't have that God-given ability in some of these sports and some of these athletics to do so, okay? So I think that's what separates us from the Olympic athlete, the hard work and preparation, but there's also a supernatural component that we just can't give ourselves, but we can't make ourselves be good at some of those things. So that poses the question, what separates us from the martyr who is willing to die for their faith? Because if we're not careful, I think we, we, we see the two as the same, right? Like, man, there, there's something about a martyr. There's, somebody, there's something different about somebody who's able to stand and, and die for their faith that I just don't know if that would be me. I don't know if I could do that. And, and, we, and we may distance ourselves and think, man, that's just not even possible for me to get to the point where I could do that. But man, I want to I I lessen that gap this morning. I want us to see from God's word that I don't think it's meant to be something where we aren't supposed to pursue that and endure to that end, all of us. Not a select group, all of us, okay? I want us to see that this morning. I don't think there's just better Christians that are out there that can do this, right? We see in Revelation chapter 2, Antiochus, who dies for his faith. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. They're willing to die for their faith, but they don't actually have to, right? Like God saves them. But man, God doesn't save everybody that's on that, on that, in that situation, right? Like Antiochus in, in Revelation chapter 2, he died for his faith. God didn't save him from it. I don't know how he died, but God didn't save him from it. He got put in a situation where it was either deny Jesus or die, and he said, you know what, I'll die. I'll take the death because I'm not going to deny my Savior. God didn't save him from that. When we see in Revelation 14 that we're all called to endure to the end, I think the Revelation call there applies to all of us and not just a select group of us. Hard work and preparation is going to be needed for us to endure to the end. 
We're going to talk about that. Man, it takes hard work and preparation for us to really equip ourselves to stand faithfully if ever put in that situation. There's also a supernatural component, and it's not just for some of us. It is for all of us. All of us, if we're a believer this morning, we are equipped supernaturally in such a way where we can endure to the end. We can be put in a position where we are called to either deny Jesus or die, and we choose death. We all have that. Olympic athletes, some of them have it, right? Some of us have it and become Olympic athletes. Not all of us have it. All of us, if we're a Christian, have a supernatural equipping where we can endure to the end and die for our faith if God ever calls us to. I want to help you see that this morning, okay? Uh, Number one, talked about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, assurance of Jesus' presence, deep knowledge of God's word, support of other believers. Those are all the necessary ingredients for us to make it to the end, face death, and die obediently. First of all, we have to first find hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we go to in Ezekiel 36. This is the supernatural component that all of us have if we're a believer. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. First point, the Holy Spirit enables us to obey even when threatened with death. Man, this passage is talking about the new covenant. It's talking about what takes place at Pentecost. It talks about what takes place when the Holy Spirit comes upon believers in a new way, in a fresh way, in an enabling and an empowering way, God says, so that you are able to keep my rules. You are able to walk in my statutes. What does that mean? I am sending the Holy Spirit to be in you in order for you to be obedient to the things that I've called you to. Right, like this isn't, this isn't something that, um, that we're just expected to do on our own. Man, God saves us and he calls us to do good works. Ephesians talks about this, right? Ephesians 2, we're not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. And God goes so far to make sure that he gets the glory for it by putting the power inside of us to be obedient. He says, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit who is going to enable you to be obedient. Man, the only way that any of us could ever hope to stand before somebody and be presented with the idea that, man, all you have to do is verbally say, I don't, I don't follow Jesus or I'm gonna put a bullet in your head. The only way any of us could ever say, man, I'll die for Jesus is to have something supernatural going on, right? The only way that somebody can do the flips and the tricks and land it on skis, on slippery, icy snow, is that God's given them an ability to do that. The only way that we can say yes to Jesus when death is facing us is if God has given us some type of supernatural ability to do so. And we don't have to speculate and wonder if he has. He has promised us that as believers, we have been given the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be obedient. Number two, he empowers us to obey our spiritual desires over the fleshly desires. Galatians chapter five, verse 16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Man, we've been given the Holy Spirit, 
And as we submit to him in our life, as we submit to God's word, we are empowered to say yes to spiritual things, to say yes to spiritual desires, and to say no to our flesh. Man, it's how we can live even in a fallen world, even without a perfect body yet. It's how we can live victoriously and not live in a state where we're always saying yes to the temptations that come our way. Man, we can live in victory, right? We can find, we can find obedience because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Now, again, we've said before and we, we'll, we'll always say it, we're, we're never gonna be, we're never gonna be perfect until Jesus comes back and gives us new bodies, Right? We're all going to struggle. We're all going to have to continually confess our sins. First John says, man, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. Right? Like, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins. Right? Um, but man, we can live and walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh. So as, as we think in terms of, man, how do, I, how do I do what Revelation's calling me to do? How do I endure to the very end? Man, find hope in the fact the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Find hope in the fact that you have a supernatural ability to do exactly what Revelation is calling all of us to do, and that's to stay faithful to Jesus until the very end. And if it, if it costs some of us our lives, then so be it. We have a supernatural ability to say yes to Jesus, even if it means our death. All right, find hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, find confidence in the presence of Jesus. Find confidence in the presence of of Jesus. For our kids, we have Jesus with us. This is where I want to take you to uh, Joshua chapter 1. It's crazy. I had, I, I, this, this passage wasn't even on my radar, and I'm sitting on Friday morning, had already been kind of preparing and planning to teach the rest of Revelation 14, sat in like a 15-minute devotion on, Rev, on Joshua chapter 1, um, our football coach presented it to the dads at Trinity. And, man, I was just super convicted about some of the things that he said. And, and I felt like, man, he hasn't said all of it that's here in Joshua chapter 1. So I went back to my office, and I began to study Joshua chapter 1 further, and I started shooting him notes. I was like, man, I, I know you're going to videotape this because he's, he's um, working to videotape some of these sessions and make it available. And I said, man, you need to include this. You need to include this. You need to include this because it's much bigger than what, you've, what you only had time to say this morning. And I was like, man, I'm just going to in, entwine this with what I've been studying in Revelation because I think it's so, it's so uh, timely in what takes place here in Joshua chapter 1 to what we've been talking about in, in Revelation 14. Let me set this, the, the context for you. Joshua chapter 1, Moses has, has led the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? He, he's done all kinds of crazy signs and wonders. I mean, he stood and parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry land. He has faithfully provided, uh, or God has faithfully used Moses to provide for the children of Israel food and water in the wilderness for 40 years. They've already defeated some cities outside of the promised land. God has used Moses mightily, and Moses is dead now. I mean, I mean, he has been the best of the best of the Israelites, and he is gone. And now Joshua has to step into his shoes and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. This is the scariest thing Joshua's ever had to do in his life, right? Because they are marching into a, an area that is full of people that hate God, that hate the Israelites and want to kill them or deceive them into worshiping their gods. I mean, this is, this is as close to revelation as you can get uh, without actually being at the very end of time, right? Because Joshua is about to walk into an area that's completely filled with idolatry, right? People that hate God, people that want nothing to do with God, that worship everything but God. And Joshua is supposed to go in and kill them one at a time. 
and take back the land for God's people. And he's been tasked with this, and God gives him every bit of encouragement that he needs to do it. Joshua chapter 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, people are into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A couple points I want you to see from this passage. Number one, God's presence gives us reason to feel strong and courageous. God's presence gives us reason to feel strong and courageous. Notice there's nothing in this passage that God tells Joshua about himself personally for why he's going to be capable of doing this, right? Like Joshua was never told to be confident because of the skill set or the ability that God has given to him, right? He never says, Joshua, you've got this, right? You've put in all the hard work, all the preparation. You are a skilled fighter. You are a skilled leader. You are certainly going to be able to conquer Canaan. He never says anything about Joshua's abilities, right? He says a whole lot, though, about why he should feel confident, strong, and courageous, but it has nothing to do with Joshua and who he is as a person. God instructs Joshua not to be afraid because he recognized there would be a great temptation to be fearful in this situation. But the reasoning for not being fearful is that Joshua has God's presence with him. You see that time and time again here, that strong and courageous, why? Because I am with you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. I find it interesting when I look around in some of the chapters surrounding Joshua chapter one, that God's telling Joshua, the reason you don't need to be fearful is because God's presence is with you. And then you look to see how the enemy feels about this, and the enemy is scared to death because they recognize God is with Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. As soon as we heard it, this is Rahab talking, as soon as we heard about you coming, Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. God's like, Joshua, don't be scared. Don't be scared because I'm going with you. And in the back of of God's mind, he's thinking, and man, they are already scared of you. 
right? Like, like you don't need to be scared, Joshua. Like, we've got them right where we want them because they are terrified of you. You skip ahead to Joshua chapter 5. As soon as, verse 1, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. They haven't even fought a battle yet and these people are given up. They haven't even fought a battle yet and they're ready to wave the white flag. I mean, they're scared to death. God's saying, Joshua, don't be scared. Don't be scared of these people that worship other gods that are gonna try to put you to death. Don't be scared of them because I'm going with you. Man, sometimes the enemy sees things better than we do as Christians, right? Because the enemy's like, man, we are terrified of these people. We are terrified of these people because God goes with them. The enemy has every reason to be fearful of us because God goes with us. So you see here in Joshua chapter one, Joshua's about to face the, the scariest thing in his life. He's, he, he, he's gonna face a, a group of people that worship other gods that are gonna try to put the Israelites to death for following God. And God says, don't be afraid of these people. Don't be afraid of them because I go with you. God's presence gives us reason to feel strong and courageous. But number two, God's promises remind us to continue in strength and courage. God's promises remind us to continue in strength and courage. Notice some of the things that that God reminds Joshua of. He says in verse five, "No, no enemy, no man can stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua says, you already have a great example of what it looks like for me to be all in for somebody. I was with Moses. I took care of Moses. I guided Moses. I led Moses. I will certainly do the same thing for you. He had no reason to fear because really there was no enemy that could threaten him, right? Like God says, no man shall be able to stand before you. He's making a promise to him that, that no enemy is going to be able to threaten him. He has no reason to fear because God promised to remain with him. Right? He says, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Man, Hebrews 13.5 quotes that. Hebrews 13.5 says, don't be a lover of money. Don't be a lover of money. Trust in Jesus because Jesus will never leave you, never forsake you. He will always take care of you. Joshua had no reason to fear because God had promised the land already to Abraham. So it goes back even further than Moses. It goes all the way back to Abraham, right? In verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God's like, Joshua, this is so much bigger than you. Man, this this is a part of a giant plan that you're just a, a smidgen a part of. I promised this stuff to Abraham hundreds of years ago. Right, I, like I, I've obligated myself to give the promised land to you, Joshua, because I promised to Abraham that I would do it. So kind of in summary, this call comes from Joshua 1. Joshua had no reason to fear man because God had faithfully demonstrated his presence in the past. He'd, he'd been with Moses. He was gonna be with Joshua. No enemy could truly threaten him. God says, no enemy can stand before you. God had promised to remain with him and God had promised the land to Abraham already. All these promises were given to Joshua to solidify his strength and his courage. 
These are supernatural things that we possess as well. We have the presence of God with us. We have the promises of God to give us strength and courage no matter what we face, no matter what enemy we face, no matter what difficulty we face. And we have God's presence and God's promises to see us through. But here's like the conditional part of Joshua chapter one. Because I think, I think, I think that message that I'm saying, man, it rings true for, for a lot of people. And there's a lot of people who grew up in church who know the gospel, who call themselves Christians that would claim this type of system on social media and say, man, God is for me. God is with me. God will take care of me. God will see me through this trial. And you're like, I didn't even know this person was a Christian. (laughs) Like, like when I look at their life, man, it doesn't match up anything with what scripture has to say a Christian looks like. But, but here they are claiming God's presence and God's power and God's deliverance and God's provision. But I don't see them following Jesus hardly ever. And that's the, that's the piece that I think is so important to Joshua chapter one. Yeah, God goes with us. Yeah, God promises things to us. But number three, our obedience gives us confidence in God's supportive presence. Because look what, what Joshua is told by God. Joshua, don't fear anything. I'm going with you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna provide for you. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that my Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. And God says, Joshua, the only, the only grounds that you have to feel confident that I am going with you in this way is if you choose to listen to me and obey me. God's not saying, hey, Joshua, go live however you want to in the promised land. Go do whatever you want to do, and I'll take care of you, and I'll provide for you, and I'll work things out for you. No, he says, look, this is a partnership. He said, we're going in this thing together. You're going to listen to me. You're going to obey me, and I'm going to give the promised land to you. He says, your strength, your courage, man, you find confidence in that because you're trying, to, you're trying to follow me. You're trying to be obedient to me. You're spending time in my word, meditating on my word. God's supportive presence is directly tied to our faithfulness and obedience. Now, here's why I'm saying supportive presence. Because if you're a Christian, God doesn't ever leave you. Right? God doesn't ever leave you if you're a Christian. We don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit vacating us or or Jesus leaving us or forsaking us. But God doesn't always support us if we're choosing to to live contrary to his ways, right? Like that's where he comes in as the disciplinarian, right? He loves his children. He disciplines his children. He brings them back into relationship and fellowship with him if they start to wander. Man, God's supportive presence is, and that's tied to our, to our faithfulness to him. That's what we see in Revelation 14, right? We endure to the very end as we remain faithful and obedient to him. Revelation 14, uh, 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And God tells the same thing to Joshua. He says, man, I'm going with you. You have every reason to feel strong and courageous. And you will continue to feel that way as you submit to my word. 
We have a responsibility to commit to God's word, to give careful attention to obeying it. Look at verse seven. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that, my, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Commit to the word, be careful, give attention to obeying it. We have a responsibility to obey God's word by studying his word. Verse nine says, um, hang on just a second. Um, I skipped one. We have a responsibility to meditate regularly on the word of God, verse eight. We're, to put, we're called to put forth effort to know it and to live it, right? It says, um, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have your way prosperous. Then you will have a good success. We have a responsibility to obey God by studying the word. It's a command and not a suggestion because God says here, have I not commanded you to do this? So we're told to, to, to commit to God's word, to be careful to obey it, to give attention to it, to meditate on it day and night, to obey it, to be careful to obey it. And the question I would wanna ask you is, does this describe your time in the word? Right? If you ask an Olympic athlete, hey, how do you train? You're going to get like an intense description of their training regime. Uh, yeah. Like their, their training plan. There we go. Their training plan. Man, it's going to be intense, right? Right? You ask somebody in our church, hey, what's your workout plan? You're going to get something totally different. Right? Like even the most fit person in our church is not going to have a, a training plan that matches an Olympic athlete. Right, like the, the things that I saw last night on TV, you don't do that a couple hours on the weekend, right? Like you don't, you don't do that kind of stuff. You don't, you don't get over a fear of, of being that far up in the air and coming down on ice by spending an hour or two on the weekend getting ready to do that, right? Like, man, that's, that's a lifetime of dedication to get ready for the Olympic Games. Lifetime of dedication, God tells Joshua, he says, man, you've got to meditate on God's word. You have got to be careful to obey it. You've got to give attention to it. You've got to know it. He says, I want you, I want you immersed in my word. I want you to know me by spending time with me. And as you do that, your strength and your courage is going to increase because you are going to know that I am with you. And you're going to be able to face anything that you find in the land of Canaan. That's true for us today, too. We can face any government that comes up that, that persecutes Christianity if we have prepared, been in God's word, studied God's word, seen God in his word. We can be strong and courageous the same. My confidence in God's presence in my life should be directly tied to my effort to obey his word. My confidence in his presence increases as my time in his word increases. Man, if I'm standing before somebody and they're giving me life or they're giving me death or, or deny Jesus, and, and at that time, I'm gonna need to know that Jesus is with me. If it's been a year and a half since I've spent time reading the Bible, I'm probably gonna be shaking in my, in my shoes. Like, I'm gonna be like, man, I haven't even, I haven't even talked to God in a while. But man, if, if, I, if I'm following him faithfully, and if I'm immersed in his word, and, and Daniel and his boys were, Right, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show up in Babylon and they're like, hey, boys, we want to give you this food to eat 
and we want to give you this wine to drink. And they're like, no, nah, we don't want to do that. Like our God, does, our God tells us we can't do that. So, so we'd like to do something different, right? Like they were immersed in God's word. And when it came time to, for their faith to be challenged, they said, you know what? We'll take death over denial because we've been with our God. And they even tell Nebuchadnezzar, they're like, even if he doesn't deliver us, and we're still not going to bow down to you. Like we know he can deliver us. There's a good chance that he will. Even if he doesn't, we're not, we're not bowing down to you. Because they were immersed in the word. They knew God's word. They were wanting to be obedient to him and follow him. My confidence in God's presence in my life is misplaced when it is not accompanied with obedience. Man, if we're not striving to be obedient to God, man, he's not, he's not with us in a supportive way. He's not. You say, how do you know that? Let me give you three examples real quick. Example number one is Moses in Exodus chapter four. Remember, Moses goes up to see the burning bush and he's super, he's super doubtful about uh, being used by God, right? God tells him he's gonna go back to Egypt and rescue everybody and um, it's gonna be great. And Moses is like, I can't do that. I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I'm just not confident. Like, I'm not the guy for you. God keeps like reassuring him. No, 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 it's gonna be great. Like, I'm gonna do this through you. Does all kinds of stuff. And then sends him down the mountain. He's like, go do it. And Moses is like, okay, I'll go do it. He goes back to his father-in-law, right? Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now, I think some time has passed Maybe not a whole lot, but some time has passed since he came down from that mountain, and now it's time for him to go back and do this. I don't, I don't know that he came straight down from the mountain and it was time to go. Even if it was, it doesn't change anything. Look what verse 21 says. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So, so God's continuing to affirm him. Hey, we're gonna go do this together, and we're gonna be victorious. We're gonna win this. You're my guy. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Who's he? It's Moses. Like, like, this is the guy that we just talked on the mountain with in the burning bush. This is the guy that I just told to leave his, his area of living to go back and do this. And he's, and he's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. You're going with me, so I'll do it. And here, God's, God's ready to kill him. And you're like, why? Verse 25, then Zaborah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What's the issue here? Moses wasn't being obedient in his personal life to things that God had told him to do, right? Like he had a responsibility as an Israelite to circumcise his son. He had not done that yet. So here Moses comes down the mountain. Here Moses packs everything up and he says, okay, we're going to Egypt. And the only reason I'm having any confidence is because God's going with me. And then God has to stop him and he says, I'm not going with you. Not if you're not gonna be obedient to me. Like, that has to change. Like, you have to be obedient for you to expect that I'm going to go with you and support you. And God changes it. God changes Moses. He, he draws him and pulls him back into obedience so that he can go and rescue Israel from Egypt. Second example is Joshua. 
God just laid out this, this, this plan for Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, right? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you. We'll do this. They go beat up on Jericho. And then in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Right? God had said, kill everything in Jericho and don't take anything for yourself. They go in, they win the victory. They, they didn't have to hardly do anything to win this victory. They get the victory, and Achan here takes some stuff. They're not being obedient to God, right? And God said, you obey me, I go with you. You obey me, I support you. You obey me, you have confidence to have strength and courage. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. At this time, Israel has like thirty to 40,000 people that could go to battle. And these guys come back and say, easy opponent, easy opponent. Like this is a one double A school that we're playing in football. Like this is, this is easy. Like roll the JV team out and we win this game. So about 3,000 men went up from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now the Israelites feel like the people of Canaan did, Right? When, when you realize that God's presence is not with you, your heart melts and you turn to water. That's what the Canaanites were feeling when the Israelites came into the land. Now Israel goes up and gets their tail whipped, and they're like, uh, now our heart's melting because we're scared to death. Like We're supposed to be strength and courage, and we're supposed to win this, and, and all of a sudden we're not victorious anymore. And they come running back. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. They put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them, open, uh, put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up consecrate the people and say consecrate yourselves for tomorrow for thus says the lord god of israel there are devoted things in your midst O israel you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you the people broke faith in the midst of victory man our faith isn't always challenged by hard times it's challenged by good times too right they win a victory they disobey god even the easiest situation isn't easy if god isn't with us note i it's crazy to me that Joshua immediately assumes that something's wrong with God versus something being wrong with him and the Israelites. Man, they get defeated and they're like, God, what's wrong with you? Like, what's your deal, God? God's like, it's not me. I'm still doing what I told you I was gonna do. You're the one that's not doing what you're supposed to do. 
right? Like, like Joshua wants to challenge God and say, God, the issue's with you. Like, why are you doing this to us? God's like, you're doing it to yourself. You're not being obedient to me. This defeat was directly tied to their disobedience. God was not with them because they were not with him. Even though God had promised Joshua 1.5 to him, Israel would not stand before their enemies if they were disobedient. Remember he said, no man will stand before you, but then God comes back and says, you're not gonna stand before men either if you're not obedient to me. It's crazy, you can look at 1 Corinthians 5 because there's a similar passage in the New Testament where one's man, one man's sin can mess up things for everybody in that community. 1 Corinthians 5 talks about the sexual sin that was tolerated in the church and how a little leaven leavens the whole lump and how that church needed to get, get that fixed in their church and not tolerate that sin. And it's real similar to what was happening with Achan. Children of Israel were allowing this sin to take place and it was causing their own defeat. It's interesting, after Joshua gets this right, they go back and they whip Ai, like, easily. And then at the end of Joshua chapter 8, you know what Joshua does? It says in verse uh, 34, like, after the defeat, after the victory, like, everybody would think, let's go out to eat, right? Like, we just, we just won a great victory, right? Afterward, he read all the words of the law. Like, he goes to to Leviticus and, and starts just reading the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones, like no children's church that day, right? Like all the little ones have to read the book of Leviticus with us. Why? Because we just got a wake-up call. If, if, if we don't obey God, he's not gonna support us in the things that we're trying to do. He's not gonna go with us if we don't obey him. So Joshua says, best thing I know to do is to remind ourselves of everything that God's commanded us to do. And let's make sure everybody gets it because one person can mess it up for everybody. Joshua is told, I am with you. Be strong and courageous, but know that that strength and courage is tied to your faithfulness to me. You follow me, you obey me, and we will do this together, right? We will win this great victory together. God says, I'm gonna do this, but man, I need you submitted to me. Third example, and we won't take time to read it, but in Judges chapter 16, story of Samson, which I'm optimistic, this, this movie just came out about Samson. Um, if you wanna go see it, I'm gonna try to go see it Tuesday night because I love the story of Samson. It's a great story of, of someone who was given everything and then they fall and just really fail, but then there's this great redemption aspect to it at the very end. The tragedy of Samson, though, is found in 16, chapter 16, verse 18, where he's broken kind of the final piece of his vow. Like sometimes we think in terms of, man, all that Samson did was cut his hair. He broke a lot of stuff in his life, right? Like the Nazarite vow had a lot of things attached to it, and he broke it multiple times, right? Like there's a passage where he eats honey out of a dead lion's carcass, and he was told never to touch anything that was unclean. The passage even says he was very intentional not to tell his parents where the honey came from. Why? Because he broke his Nazarite vow. He most likely drank wine at his wedding feast because the Philistine wedding feast was full of wine and, and strong drink and he wasn't allowed to because he was a Nazarite. Um, he intermarried with the Philistines. Like the guy was full of poor choices and decisions his whole life. The last one is him cutting his hair. The tragedy though is that he gets up to go fight and the passage says he did not realize that God's spirit had left him. Just like Joshua, who goes off to fight Ai and thinks, man, God's still with us. Why wouldn't he be? God says, I'm not with you. You're being disobedient to me. It says that Samson got up and went to fight the Philistines like he had done every other time. 
He did not realize that the Spirit was not with him, and he was, he was, he was rocked. He was defeated. His eyes were gouged out. He was imprisoned. He was completely stripped of everything. Didn't realize that God was no longer with him. He had stopped being obedient. And God said, you know what? I'm going to take my hands off of this. I'm not going to support this. Strength and courage. The presence of Jesus goes with us. But as we've seen in Revelation, we have a responsibility to be faithful to him, to immerse ourselves in his word, and to be obedient. Number three. We'll wrap up real quick with these last two. Find perspective in the truth of the word. Find perspective in the truth of the word. So we're talking about how do, how do we stand and, and not deny Jesus? How do we stand and be willing to die instead of denying Jesus? One, remember that the Holy Spirit empowers us. Two, remember that God's presence goes with us. Number three, find correct perspective before that ever happens in the truth of God's word. For our kids, we have the Bible to teach us. Number one, we are equipped to spiritually grasp the teachings of the Bible. So if you're a Christian, like, you can't sit here and say, well, I just don't understand the Bible. I mean, it may take hard work and preparation to understand the truths of God's word, but you are fully capable of doing it because of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul says you have the Holy Spirit that can help you grasp spiritual things, things that God has given to you. But you've also, number two, been equipped to spiritually receive his soul-saving promises. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Make every effort to supplant your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how, how we can be effective and fruitful if we're ever put in the position to either deny Jesus or die? It's to immerse ourselves in the promises of God and to see these things increasing in our life. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. They keep you from being unfruitful. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's, that's, a, that's a great promise right there. Man, I mean, if you do these things, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what? If, I, if, if I'm ever in a position where the government starts to persecute us and I'm standing there and somebody is telling me to either deny Jesus or die, man, I hope in that moment I am, I am, I am, I am reminded 
that I am filled with the Holy Spirit and that I can do this. That I recognize that, man, I am here with Jesus and I can be strong and courageous at that moment. And that there's nothing they can do to cause me to to be faint-hearted or to have me turn to water, right? Because God is standing there with me. And I won't have to question, is he here or is he not here? Because I will be faithfully following him and striving to obey him and to, to love him by keeping his commandments. So that when I stand there that day, I'm like, man, I know God is here with me. I know he's here with me and I can feel that strength and courage because we are in this together. <coughs> and then I hope at that time I can be reminded of the promises that I've meditated on so much in my life. What Revelation tells us that it is good to die with the Lord. That it is better to die with the Lord than to live in sin separated from him. Number four, we find encouragement in the community of the church. We find encouragement in the community of the church. We mentioned that the Olympic athlete doesn't do this alone, right? Like he needs the encouragement of others that are training in the same way. For our kids, we have the church to encourage us. One, one note here under this. Keep in mind, you may not survive without a church. Man, it is, it is absolutely crucial in the New Testament that if you make it to the end, if you endure to the end, it is most likely going to be tied to the fact that you surrounded yourself with a community of believers that helped push you to that end, right? Um, Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 tells us, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Author of Hebrews says, man, you need other people in your life that are calling you out when you need to be called out that are pushing you and encouraging you not to give up. Man, that, that, that doesn't happen if you just show up at church sometimes and, and you really don't have a group of people that you call your church. These are my people. This is my community of believers that when I need help, this is who I call upon. I know exactly who to go to when I'm wavering. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us, not, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It doesn't have to be this church. It's gotta be a church though. There is a church that, that will help get you to the end. Man, you know what's gonna be easy? If a government ever comes up that says, hey, you either deny Jesus or you die, is for us to be standing together in that line. You know, it'd be hard if I was the only one. If I was the only one. But man, if I'm standing in line with you people, and I know we're all going down together, man, that, that, that's another reason to be strong and courageous, right? Because, because we're in this together, right? We, we all see the promises of God, and we're all reminding ourselves of those promises when things get hard. Two application points. Number one, which area do you need to solidify in your life in order to be better, uh, or in order to better face death and obedience? Going back to those four things that I shared with you, which area do you need to solidify in your life in order to better face death and obedience? Is it remembering that the power of the Holy Spirit enables you to do this? Is it finding confidence in the presence of Jesus through obedience to his word? Is it finding perspective in the truth of the word? 
man, do you really believe that, that dying in the Lord is better than living without him? Do you have that, that, that community here at this church or, or another church? Do you have that community of people that can, that can push you to the very end? The second piece is, is a real practical application. I'm going to post on the city today. When you joined Sovereign Hope Church, we asked you to identify two people in your life that if you ever began to wander in the faith, these are the people to come help you, to come, to come bring you back. We want, we want to know that as elders so that if you ever start to waver and wander in the faith, we can send these people to come help you, to come, come, come encourage you. Some of you joined and the people that you wrote down may not even be here anymore, right? Like we've had people move away. And so I want to update this list because as I was looking back through it, there's a lot of people that, that are gone from our church now that aren't here anymore. They moved away. And so I want us to all kind of think through, man, who are two people in my life that I can trust to exhort me so that sin doesn't harden my heart, that can encourage me so that I hold fast to my confession of hope until the very end. Family worship questions. I want you to read the story of the fall of Jericho. Remember, God's presence with them was specifically tied to their obedience. What were the Israelites told specifically to do? What were they told specifically not to do? Go back and read through that as a family together, and I think it'll be beneficial to you. In closing, I want to read this last passage to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And then Tyson's going to come and lead us in one more song. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Peter says, nobody can harm you. Nobody can stand before you if you're the type of person who loves God, loves his word, strives to obey his word. Who can harm you if you're zealous for what's good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We usually think of that about being at work and somebody at the lunch break saying, why are you a Christian? In the context, this is like in the context of being harmed. Why do you have hope, right? The gun is out. You want to deny Jesus or, or death? What's the reason for the hope that's in you? Always be prepared, Peter says. Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that uh, we are not always as strong and courageous as we need to be. God, I pray that you would remind us this morning that that's not because we're not capable. That you have equipped us with your Holy Spirit. You have given us the supernatural peace that enables us to be strong and courageous. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit if we're a Christian. You have given us the presence of Jesus to go with us. God, help us to realize that we have a responsibility to be faithful and obedient to you with that presence. God, help us to be reminded that that your truths and your words sustain us, that your promises are life-giving to us. They give us perspective. They help us to see the truth of reality, that this world is not our home that this is not the eternal state. 
that it's better to suffer now than to suffer later. God, thank you for the church. Thank you for believers that help walk through this life with us. God, I pray that this church would always be an environment, a community where people can come and join and know that they will be taken care of. They will be encouraged. They will be exhorted. They will be enabled to hold fast to their hope till the end. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for your assurances and your promises. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we can be strong and courageous. Not because of us, but because of you, because of your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.